Father, we pray that you would this morning give us a spirit of prayer, that you would incline our hearts to come to you, to bring our needs and supplications to you according to your will. Teach us how to do so. Give us attentive hearts and show us Christ. Show us your grace and mercy offered to us in him, and may we receive it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our mini-series on the Lord's Prayer. Last week, no, two weeks ago, we had John Mavis here last week. I hope you enjoyed him, uh, having him and some of his children in town. Um, Ivy and I enjoyed the time to see family before the school year gets started. So, um, but, so from two weeks ago, we are continuing now our mini-series on the Lord's Prayer. We noted last time the way that the petitions are divided. The first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer seem to fit together in one unit, and the last four go together as a second unit. Last week, we looked at the first half, and those first three petitions focus on God. So one of the first things we can learn from the Lord's Prayer is it doesn't begin with us, but it begins with our gracious and heavenly Father. It begins with the desire of our hearts, knowing him as our father through Christ in the gospel, our desire that his, his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's different than the way pagans prayed. Pagan prayer was all about getting uh, uh, these deity figures, almost like exalted Hollywood celebrities with superpowers, really, to do things for them to get their will done. Jesus reorients our prayer. God is ultimate, not us. His will is supreme, not ours. In our prayers, we are to recognize the supremacy of God over all things and align our will with his. That's fundamental. That's crucial to prayer. And that's the first three petitions. This week, we consider the final four second half. And here, the focus of the Lord's prayer shifts. Having begun in heaven, we now move to earth. Having started with God and his glory, his will, his kingdom, we now consider man and his needs. So we come to the fourth petition in the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. The transition here is stark. It gets very earthy very quickly. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us bread. While the rest of the Lord's Prayer that we've considered so far could be perhaps read just more in a spiritual fashion, this petition brings us right into the whole realm of the ordinary, of day-to-day life, of food, drink, clothing, shelter, of fields and lands and weather and harvest, of the marketplace, the public forum, government. All of this is implied in this prayer, give us bread. In doing so, Christ teaches us that the things of earth, these ordinary day-to-day things of life, are not bad or evil. And it's not unspiritual to ask God concerning those things. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Provide for us physically. Give us the food that we need. Notice he's not telling us to ask for our weekly bread. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Our, our monthly bread, right? I would just like all the provisions that I'm going to need for my whole life, just give it all to me right now, and then I'll know, okay, it's all there. I can just put it in some you know, bank account, and I don't have to worry. No, Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread. This is a modest request. We ask God to give us the food that we need for today. The provisions that we need to care for ourselves and our families. This chastises our tendency to idolize material goods. Maybe you remember if you were raised in a Christian household taught to pray and that sort of thing. You probably remember praying for a million dollars. You probably remember praying that, you know, You'd win the lottery or find, you know, treasure, things like that. Well, Jesus is teaching us not to idolize material goods. It's a modest request, not asking for too much, but not for too little either. We see the same request here voiced by the sage in Proverbs, in Proverbs 38 through 9. That sage prays, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Ask for daily bread. Ask that God will provide for you what you and your family need each day. And if he and his mercy uh, does give you more than that, which I should note as Americans, he regularly does that here, okay? So thinking about third world countries, thinking about other places you might be in the world, poor here is not the same everywhere. Um, if he deigns to give you more than your daily bread so that you have an abundance, rejoice that he has done far above all that you ask or think, right? Because you prayed for your daily bread. You didn't pray for all that. Rejoice that he gave you more than you asked or think and pray now for the grace to use your excess well. Because if there's one thing scripture teaches us, it's that abundance can be a spiritual danger. Moses writes in Deuteronomy, or he preaches to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy, beware lest when you come into the land of promise and you're you inherit all these fields and vineyards and you're stocked full and you have more than you need. Beware, lest you turn in your hearts from the Lord. Because when you have more than you need, you start to think, I don't need God, I have this stuff. That's our, uh, probably our bent as Americans that we need to uh, be cautious about. Okay, so give us this day our daily Bread. Again, though, remember a point we made last time, two weeks ago, was this is a communal prayer. Okay, so actually, this prayer is not give me my daily bread. That's a fine application of it, and you can pray for that. But the form we're given here is us, right? Give us this day our daily bread. You're praying not just for yourself or your family, but for the church of Christ as well. So this means in praying this prayer, that us includes not just you, not just your family, but it includes the community of Christ, the church. And so 
we're praying, in a sense, for one another's temporal needs when we pray this prayer together. That their financial needs would be provided for, that they would have adequate health and provisions, which means it implies that you've got to be ready and willing to assist one another. Again, there's the hypocrisy point that we can bring into the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't do to ask God, may your kingdom come, if you're not willing to do any part in, help, in, in uh, being used by God to make that kingdom come. Similarly, it doesn't make sense to pray, provide for our needs, Lord. But then you have an abundance and you hear of a brother who has need and you're like, ugh. It means being ready and willing to assist one another and be the means by which this prayer is fulfilled in one another's lives. So, Give us this day our daily bread. The fourth petition. And we move now to the fifth, the fifth petition. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice that this prayer comes right after the prayer for daily bread. So daily bread, what does that imply? You're praying this every day. You don't pray for daily bread once a week. You pray for daily bread every day. So this is a prayer for every day. And every day, that means you're going to say, forgive me my sins. Along with your daily bread, you need daily forgiveness. You don't go a day without needing forgiveness. That's implied here. We sin both in the wrong things that we do, whether of mind or will or actions We also sin in the good things that we fail to do, the things that God calls us to do that we're not doing. So when you think about the the expanse of that, you'll realize we're in constant need of God's grace and forgiveness. So it is fitting to ask him for it. Now you might have wondered, you uh, you might have wondered in time past, uh, why do we ask God to forgive us if he already has forgiven us? Right? It, as a Christian, if I ever you know, sin or do something wrong, <laughs> no, that's bound to happen, right? Uh, if I sin as a Christian, am I like reverting back to this unforgiven state and God is now this wrathful judge again once more and I need to you know, forgive me? That's not how we should think of it. Rather, Jesus here would be speaking of a kind of fatherly forgiveness, It's the kind of forgiveness that we might say a parent extends to their child when their child has rebelled against him. When we sin against our father as believers and confess that to him and ask him to forgive us, he does forgive us, but it's not because he's switched to being this wrathful judge over against us as his children, but because it's a means of restoring broken fellowship and nearness of communion with him. This is why in scripture we read, Uh, the Apostle Paul exhort the Galatian Christians, keep in step with the Spirit. For the Ephesian Christians, do not grieve the Spirit of God, you know, by the way you live. So there's this broken fellowship and communion with God that that happens when we sin. And so the forgiveness is a means of restoring this relationship. And also, this um, once-for-all judicial forgiveness that we have in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ You are justified by faith. That once for all forgiveness that occurs when you believe uh, is in a sense that's re-experienced and felt again by us throughout our lives 
and especially when we confess our sins to God. So we pray, forgive us our debts, picturing sin as a kind of debt against God that that merits punishment. Forgive us of those. Don't punish us. Forgive us our debts. Jesus does not stop there, does he? As we forgive our debtors. Wow. Can you pray like that? I mean, you do it every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? But think about that. Forgive me my debts against you, God, as I forgive my debtors. Brothers and sisters, beware of the sin of bitterness. Beware of the sin of returning evil for evil, of wanting to hurt people who hurt you. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 19. Don't think that because you haven't killed someone that you don't have a vengeance problem. You can avenge yourself with a look. You can avenge yourself with the rolling of an eye, the tone of your voice, the words that you say, the words that you don't say. How serious is holding a grudge? How serious is harboring ill will? Jesus tells us how serious it is in Matthew 6, verses 13 to 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you are a Christian, then it is the height of hypocrisy and arrogance to hold a grudge or hold on to bitterness towards someone who has wronged you. Why? How much have you wronged God? How seriously have you sinned against God? I'll give you a hint. The wages of sin is death. Okay, the wages of sin is death, eternal condemnation. No one has wronged you as seriously as you have wronged God. Your sin against God is more serious than others' sin against you, and God forgave you. If you truly grasp the grace of God and the knowledge of his love extended towards you in Christ, you would not be holding on to a grudge or bitterness or ill will towards another for how they may have wronged you. So if you have a heart of unforgiveness towards someone, you must repent of this before you will experience assurance of your own forgiveness of sins before God. If God has forgiven you, who are you not to forgive others? But if you do not harbor bitterness or ill will towards another, if before God at least you say, help me with this, I don't want to be this way, give me the grace to love my enemies, right? We all might struggle with this, But if we're not actively, unrepentantly holding on to it and not willing to repent from it, if that's you, you're not doing that, then the Lord is actually offering you comfort here in the Lord's Prayer. You can draw assurance from the fact that you're not holding on to it against someone else that that God's not holding it against you. If you forgive others their trespasses, how much more does your Father forgive yours? Are, are, Are you more merciful than God? No. 
So if you forgive others their trespasses, be assured God surely forgives yours. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The final two petitions, six and seven, can be treated together. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The word for temptation at its root basically means trial. It's important to note because in a trial, God can mean one thing and Satan can mean another. God intends trials in the lives of believers to test their faith, to show the genuineness of their faith. Satan intends through these trials to destroy your faith and to draw you into sin and unbelief. So Jesus is here commanding us to pray that God would not lead us into such trials in which Satan would tempt us towards sin and unbelief, but that we would be delivered from them. We pray to be spared the trial that we may be spared the temptation. But if we are not spared the trial, then we pray that we would be spared the temptation at least, that we would be delivered from the evil one. Where it says... uh, Uh, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That could be translated also from the evil one. Satan, uh, or, or rather, as one theologian notes, Jesus himself was led into temptation and then delivered from the evil one. Matthew 4 verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he withstood satanic temptations, three of which are recorded in the Gospels, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest to us in our temptations and our trials. We must pray for ourselves in our church that God would not lead us into trials or temptations but that he would preserve us from them and preserve our faith and preserve us from the assaults of Satan. We pray that he would keep our teaching pure, our, our confession of faith pure, our worship well-ordered and sincere, our love genuine, our fellowship strong, and our faith unshakable. Apostle John writes in 1 John 3, verse 8, For this purpose, the Son of God was revealed that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we pray against the devil and all his works. We pray for deliverance from him. Finally, we come to the concluding doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This ending is missing in some early manuscripts should be aware of that. Um, So there are manuscripts of the New Testament that we compare together to construct the original documents. Some of the early ones lack it, but there are uh, early attestations to this concluding doxology as well, and the vast majority of later manuscripts include it. So there's some debate about whether this doxology was original to Matthew's gospel, 
Certainly, no major doctrine hinges on whether or not this little phrase is, is part of the Lord's Prayer originally. I will treat it here as authentic, okay? But, but do you know, it's, it, it's up for debate a little bit, but this is not adding any new doctrine that's not from the rest of Scripture. But this final uh, doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. This bookends the prayer and in a way refers back to the first three petitions where we started with God. So thine is the kingdom, matches your kingdom come. Uh, and the power, the, the authority, we might think of your will be done. And then, and the glory, yours be the glory. That glory of God and his exalted majesty reminds us of hallowed be your name, be treated as the holy one. So this doxology refers kind of back to those first three petitions, grounds us once again there, and really grounds the whole prayer in the glory and kingdom of God. We do not bring our requests before God uh, on the basis of our own worthiness or our own goodness, but we ask uh, all these things of him in the prayer for the sake of his name and praise. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Give us bread, forgive us, uh, preserve us from temptations. Why? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Our prayers are rooted in God's name and God's praise. So this gives us great confidence that God will certainly hear and answer our prayers, which is what amen means. Amen. It's, it's, it's what we say at the end of prayer, right? It means um, so shall it be. It's expressing a confidence that God certainly hears and answers prayers according to his will. So that concludes our exposition of the Lord's Prayer, moving through each petition. Uh, In conclusion, I want to make a few observations by way of applications to our prayer lives. Two weeks ago, I mentioned the Lord's Prayer is not presenting us with the only true and valid form of prayer. Uh, it's, it's not as though every time you pray, it has to be the words of the Lord's Prayer. can't pray anything else. Rather, what we're after is having our prayers shaped and oriented by the Lord's Prayer. Our prayers should be shaped and oriented by the Lord's Prayer preeminently and also by other prayers in Scripture which teach us how to pray. So what's the best way that we can obtain that end? The best way that we can ensure that our prayers really are tracking with and aligning with the Lord's Prayer uh, and other prayers of Scripture as well. Here I think it's helpful to note different ways that you can pray biblical prayers. Okay, so there are different ways you can pray biblical prayers or passages. The first one is reading or reciting the prayer word for word. This is what we do in our corporate Worship services with the Lord's Prayer and other prayers. When we have Psalter readings on morning prayer days, we are, um, you know, there's biblical prayers and we are just, we are praying them word for word. We're making those prayers our own, just taking them up on our lips. That's one way you can pray. You say, I struggle with prayer, open up to the book of Psalms and get going. Read it out loud as your prayer to God. And that shapes your prayers. That shapes what you're asking for. You'll ask for things that you may not have been inclined to ask for that way. So just pray the Lord's Prayer. 
we do it in church, but you can do it on your own too. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Psalms. Um, use the Book of Common Prayer uh, you know, in your devotions. It'll have you do that. Uh, so that's the first way that you can have your prayer shaped by Scripture. Just read it. Recite it word for word. Another way is paraphrase. So this means following a pre-written prayer, but stopping and doing some kind of off-the-cuff riffing and expanding on each line as you go. It does require you have a pretty good understanding of the prayer that you're trying to paraphrase. So um, if you want to hear a little bit more on that method, I would encourage you to look up online a letter by Martin Luther called A Simple Way to Pray. So Martin Luther, A Simple Way to Pray. Uh, He kind of models this. And what he does is he takes the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and he just walks through them and he turns each phrase into a prayer. So modeling kind of what that looks like. So I'd encourage you to look at that. Paraphrasing a uh, text of scripture, pre-written prayer is another way. The third and final way that you can pray is extemporaneous prayer. Um, Extemporaneous prayer is, you know, totally off the cuff. You didn't plan it beforehand. In the course of your prayer, you may end up quoting a few Bible verses if you recall them, but you're not consciously trying to recite a prayer um, that you already knew. So I would say all three of these ways, whether praying, pre-written prayers, word for word, paraphrasing, extemporaneous, all three of those are valid and useful, and we see all of those in Scripture. I actually think that ideally all three of these should be a part of our lives as Christians and our prayer lives. Now, you might feel more inclined toward one or the other. You might feel more like, I just want to pray set prayers and that's it. And then if someone ever, you know, at a family gathering asks you to pray, you're like, oh no, I don't know what to say. I don't have anything to read. Well, then that tells you maybe focus a bit more on the paraphrase or a bit more on the extemporaneous forms. Try and fill out some of those in your prayer life. Or maybe you're the other way. You just struggle with uh, anything pre-written, even the paraphrase, uh, let alone reading word for word. You might think that's kind of mechanical and not your heart's not really in it. Well, I would encourage you to give it a go <laughs> um, and realize that simply uh, praying someone else's words is not uh, an indicator that you're being inauthentic or not genuine. You can mean someone else's words. You want to know why? Because you sing. You sing other people's words. You sing hymns in church, right? Well, those are prayers. So um, give it um, a go. If you feel more inclined to one than the other, try and balance yourself out a bit in your prayer life. So those are a few just prudential considerations as we seek together to uh, be characterized by a spirit of prayer and having our prayers shaped by the Lord's Prayer and all of scriptural prayers. Now, we began this little mini-series by noting the difficulty of prayer. As fallen man, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. The Lord's Prayer is a remedy to that problem. It shows us what the substance of all our prayers should be, even if our prayers might have a different form or leave out certain elements at times. Martin Luther says this of the Lord's Prayer. In these seven petitions are found all our anxieties, needs, and perils which we ought to bring to God. They are great petitions indeed, but God who wills to do great things is greater. Or as Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Let us pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you that you are high and holy and uh, exalted above all things, but that you also are gracious and merciful, that you provide for our needs, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins in Christ when we call upon you in faith and repentance, and you promise to provide us all that we need, that you will deliver us through every trial into your heavenly kingdom. Grant us the faith to believe that, And grant that we would, in our day-to-day lives, trust in you and call upon you and pray to you in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name, amen.